I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. We're here again. Yeah, we made it. Almost. Yeah, almost. <laughs> I'm still sick. Yeah. Janelle's well, I still feel sick. Literally always. I Every time, I've, ever since I've known her, she's always been sick. Like, just what? literally the whole time. Not mentally. You I should mean physically sick. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you should just love it. You should be the bubble boy. Yeah, I don't know. I guess ever since I turned 30 last month. <laughs> Your immune system just took a big just old like, shit. You know what? Yeah. We quit. It's like, oh, 30? My time antibodies to out. out. I'm on lunch for the next 30 years. Yeah. No, um, I normally don't get sick, but this past year I've been sick a lot, which means that rough. it's been bad. Yeah. I mean, fun fact, this year's flu season it's the worst flu season since the flu epidemic of 1918. Hey, guess what? That's a hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck is happening? Do I have the Spanish flu? Is blood going to start coming out of my eyes and nose and ears? That's I what happened. I really hope not. <laughs> I really hope not. Yeah. I would leave. Can you imagine <laughs> like, that epidemic scale oh during God, panic. this time period? No. I don't oh my want God. to. Panic. It was the fucking flu. Yeah. People would be dropping like flies. Yeah, right. That's scary. Ugh. I've read too many historical novels. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Ew. Well, welcome back to the Bad Days Crimecast. <laughs> if this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. Yeah. We've got another great episode for you today. I'll try not to bring panic. As per the use, yeah. <laughs> Don't incite Wide panic. Spread panic. Oh, if man. you're a hypochondriac, turn it off. No. Right. Yes. Yeah, we've got another great episode for you this week, but first, let's head over to the newsroom. So we are going to talk about a rather unusual story. I wanted to keep it light at the beginning this week. Yeah, because this episode is going to be dark. Fucked. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so have you ever heard of a pizza crime? I mean, I'm Italian, so basically any pizza in the United States is a pizza crime, but no. <laughs> so this story comes to us from Westport, Connecticut, and... Known pizza capital of the world. <laughs> and Amber Lawrence, who is a 44-year-old Westport resident and mother of four, She serves a lot of pizza with all those kids. <laughs> got into an argument with her husband, George, who is 47, after they went to Domino's. And How did I fucking know it was a Domino's, got too? Got pizza. Oh, my God. See, um, it's a crime against pizza. They were celebrating somebody's Domino's. birthday, a friend's birthday, and they got into a dispute over... Um, if Hawaiian pizza is legit or not. <laughs> it is. Yes, it is. It's fucking delicious, and I don't care what anybody says. Moving on. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they 
get this pizza. They're on their way back. And apparently a friend of Lauren's called and asked them to go back to the bar and pick up something that they had left there. And then the two got into a fight. And as you do (laughs) in the heat of the moment. What did she do? She grabbed the pizza. She threw the zabra and began <laughs> launching it at her husband. Oh my God. Um, investigators How can you later launch Domino's. It is the floppiest of pizzas. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can launch anything if you try hard enough. This is limp. I love this. Bread. Is the best. Investigators <laughs> later discovered several slices of pizza on the floor of the vehicle. Um, but she is she was arrested for um just assault with pizza with a deadly I mean weapon. I'm pretty sure it lands under assault but you know it's assault with a deadly pizza I guess yeah so she's awaiting trial oh my god can you imagine that argument I also imagine husband. it's like a my cousin Vinny kind of argument where it's like oh you can't god. prove that the pizza came out of my hand it's like what? <laughs> Ugh, all this pizza talk i'm really hungry yeah but domino's isn't pizza that's bread domino's i don't know i like dom i used to get domino's that's a lot. saucy bread don't you dare tell me that's a pizza <laughs> i like i used to get domino's a lot when i back when i worked at best buy because they delivered like super fast so you could like plan your lunch around when they would deliver your pizza yeah. and take home leftovers and it was amazing yeah. i mean i'm a firm believer eat whatever discounts. eat whatever you want because we ordered a shitload of pizza from them have whatever toppings you want on your pizza enjoy but food don't call it real pizza that's i don't i that's american pizza i'm not saying every time that i want pizza i don't say i want real pizza i just say i want some motherfucking pizza girl i want pizza i will make you some legit neapolitan pizza and you'd be like fuck domino's and i'd be like this is some delicious pizza give me some more pizza general pizza, just in general it's like a it's like pasta. It's like opening a jar of marinara and then having like legit pasta. It's like those two things will never be the same. <laughs> that don't even. <laughs> it hurts my sensibilities. But you know what? I will need while I eat all this pizza is what? something to binge on. Oh yeah, yeah. Shall we have pizza, Netflix, and kill? Pizza and Netflix and kill. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So this week on Netflix and kill, we are talking about the end of the fucking world. And not just in general, that's the title of the series. Yes. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's called The End of the Fucking World. The This is the premise. James is 17, and he's pretty sure that he's a psychopath. Alyssa, also 17, is the cool and moody new girl at school. Mm-hmm. And the pair make a connection. She persuades him to embark on a road trip in search of her real father. It's real gory. The trailers <laughs> I have seen look great it was actually um the person who produced this found an indie comic book in the trash and that's what the end of the fucking world is really it's an indie comic book yeah that's cool they're like, let's pull make it out episode. of the trash yeah literally in the garbage cool. and they were like what the fuck is this that's fucking cool it's really you can tell it's on par with the scott pilgrim kind of like yeah i definitely get it, that vibe. you get that vibe um but it's really good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. But I also really love British things. So. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm that's biased. true. Well, and I kind of like this idea of examining somebody who, as a teenager, thinks he might be a psychopath and how he kind of deals with this realization. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of, there's a lot of internal monologue. Yeah. Um, and then, then you see their interactions with each other. And mm-hmm. it is 
very awkward yeah. <laughs> at first. Um, of course. But of course, yeah. quintessentially British. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we're watching. Yeah, I haven't watched it really yet, good. but of course Janelle has. Yes, oh, yeah. Of course. I freaking, I mean, I had nothing better to do while I was not dying here, yeah. except watch When Netflix. she's not here, she watch, watches Netflix. Oh, so. my gosh. I went through the entire series of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel in, like, a day. I have zero life. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I did just finish um, Lady Di- season two of Lady Dynamite, which was great, and Big Mouth, which is hilarious. Yeah. So funny. <laughs> anyway... Um, so what were we talking about? Oh, Netflix and Kill. (laughs) So watch The End of the Fucking World. Check Mm -hmm. it out. Let us know what you think on our Facebook or Twitter or wherever. It's really good. Yes. Um, all right. So this is that part of the show where we say content is not appropriate for all listeners, and we really mean it this week. My story is going to be very brutal. Yes. Um. Also mine. It's also kind of a little personal as well. Yes. So... Yes. So if you're a bit squeamish, (laughs) there are going to be details that might make you sick. Sorry. Yeah. Um, But that's it. So this week, my pick, I decided to go back to my college days. Oh, no. Oh, God. Janelle O'Malley, the college college years. Yeah. Which college? I went to a couple. (laughs) I have 100 Uh, degrees. Um, Ended with zero degrees. No. What? <laughs> I have one degree. It okay. Took, I was it like, just wait, took a long time and lots of classes. Um, I have three. Was working on four, but pumped the brakes on that because yeah. money is an issue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I heard I'm, that. I'm an educational that. overachiever sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> um, so I was kind of, I, I keep coming back to this story. Um. It was happening while I was in college, and it was very, very difficult to witness this, um, because where I went to school, I went to Northern Illinois University. Well, that's where I ended Mm -hmm. (laughs) my education, um, put it that way. And uh, a lot of pretty terrible things have happened at that college. Yes. Um, yeah. it's also the alma mater of my entire family. My sister and both my brothers also graduated from there. Yeah. Um, and just because of the area where we live, a lot of people that we know go to NIU because it is a state school, but it's also not that far from where we're at. Mm-hmm. Maybe an they hour or so. Really great yeah. programs, yeah. Uh, specifically for music, art, science. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of my sister went to school for uh, music originally, mm-hmm. and they have one of the best like jazz musician programs. Yeah, um, it's a fairly large school. I mean, our football team's pretty well known. Yeah. It's a and, decently sized school. And I even used to just like when I was younger and back in the day when I played basketball, <laughs> I always went to the NIU basketball camp, and it was fun because you'd stay the weekend and you get to stay in dorm rooms, and yeah. you would just like stay there. It's, yeah. A city college feel yeah. on a small town scale. Mm-hmm. Um, you and can it's see definitely... where the college stops and the small town begins. It yes. is literally out in the middle of a cornfield. Yes. It's yeah. Everything around wasteland. DeKalb is just empty. <laughs> it's so empty. Yeah. Um, it's reasonably priced, so that's why a lot of people mm-hmm. go there. They also have tons of scholarship programs, which is where you see a lot of kids coming from the cities out here to go to school. Right. Um, in... Was it 99 or 2000? No, it had to be 2000. Um, there was a mass shooting there 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably what it's most yeah. well known for. Um, at the time, my sister was attending school. Uh, Wani um, was also uh, Wani, both Wani and Alec. I think were at school there. It's very that, scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, my sister was a science. She switched from music to science at that time, and that's where. The shooting occurred us in the science building. So it, it was a scary time. Yeah. Um, it also kind of deterred me from going um, to start there. Um, my brothers wound up attending and it's mm-hmm. it's not a great campus anymore. Yeah. Well, not like it used to. And I think <laughs> um, at least I've noticed it more within recent years. And I say recent as in probably the last 10 years mm-hmm. or so that things like um uh, gang violence too in yes, DeKalb has a lot of that. gone mm-hmm. up a lot. Um, and I don't know if that's because of the makeup it's of the town or students very coming expensive in, but... to live there. Yeah. There's actually an entire section of the city of DeKalb where it's just all government housing. Right. Um, and that's yeah. considered the bad side of town. Yeah. Um, there are parts that are super nice, oh, too. It's a beautiful though, it's campus. Like, yeah. The art building is amazing. I went to school for art, mm-hmm. and I graduated in 2012, and um, I carried a knife with me yeah. when I went to school there. We'll yeah. just put it that way. There were shootings, not on campus, um, no. but no, in yeah. the surrounding areas uh, where people were living um, right. slightly off campus. So... It definitely, after that school shooting, started to have a very, like, city yeah. school issue yeah. going on with For it. For sure. Um, but they did increase security, so they were taking care of it. Um, none of the events that happened happened on campus. It was always off campus. It was right. always in apartment buildings away from the school, right. which is fine. I didn't stay there for the parties. I didn't go bar hopping. I didn't do any of those events. Yeah, I definitely did back when it I was went safer to, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I went to school, but yeah. I also had night classes and I carried a knife with me. Like, I know that sounds alarmist, but if you were on campus at the time and you witnessed the story I'm about to tell you, you would want to carry more than a knife with you. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I'm going to get started with the story then. <laughs> Uh, this is about a girl who went to school with me. She also was an art student. She was a freshman at the time. Um, this was right when I moved back to NIU. I was going to school in the city and I decided that it was too much money, too much travel, too much everything. So I was, I transferred to NIU in 2010. That fall semester on October 14th, uh, Antoinette Tony Keller... Um, went missing. She was a photography student, which is the program that I started in when I was starting school. So Mm -hmm. I knew a lot of the photography students, um, but mostly the older ones. I wasn't very familiar with her specifically, but I definitely knew her group of friends. Um, it's a, it's a small group, the photography um, department. Uh, same thing with painting. That's yeah. where I wound up. Well, I think that happens in general, <clears throat> just like in your field of study at college, you tend to see the same people in your yeah. department, you know. Um, it, when she went missing, the entire art building just like shut down. Yeah. Uh, she went out to go work on her photography one class project, and she never came back. Um, in that area, 
There is a lot of really beautiful uh, sculpture on mm-hmm. campus. There's amazing, beautiful, natural scenery and parks all around the campus. And a lot of the art students use that as their photography projects, their drawing projects, their painting projects. Mm -hmm. Um, We use these areas to go do our studies. Um, So she went out to go photograph in some of the park area behind um, the main campus area. So she was a freshman. This was her first semester away at school. Um, And she went and told her friends and her roommates that she was going to walk towards West Lincoln Highway near the Junction Center complex to uh, Prairie Park. Now, the Junction Center is a huge yeah. strip mall with lots of um, mostly restaurants. There's a couple of businesses yeah, in there's there. There's a really cool gaming uh, shop that's in there. Yeah, and the yeah. Junction, which is the main restaurant, which is what the center is named after, that's like the meeting spot. It's open 24 hours. You know, you go have coffee and a piece of pie after, yeah. you know, a long night of drinking. Right, and yeah. West Lincoln Highway is the major highway that runs through the entire town. Mm-hmm. It goes from outside of campus, through campus, to the old downtown DeKalb, and then back out into the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, it's a main thoroughfare. People walk up and down it all the time. Mm-hmm. There's pace buses. There's the NIU um, bus yeah. as well. Yeah. And it's like the main road. Um, the local police were kind of slow to get in contact with her family, um, as Tony was, obviously, she's 18, you know? Mm -hmm. She hasn't been missing for very long. A few hours. No big deal. She's an adult now. Uh, two, she also expressed to her relatives that she was hoping to go visit a friend soon in California. Um... Just a loose statement that she said. Yeah. And uh, the police were like, well, you know, maybe she decided. Yes, she decided in the middle of the day just to go run off to California to visit her friend. Yeah. Doesn't make sense to me. Um, Friends and family members knew, however, that something was very wrong and they continued to look for her. Um, Now, in DeKalb, there is the DeKalb Police Department and the NIU Police Department. They put the NIU Police Department together after that massive school shooting so that there was more of an immediate response um, to any activities that are on campus. Right. Um, Yeah. And they are like a full police department. It's not like a security guard agency that they're contracting out. There are also the security cars that drive around right the niu campus police are legit and they are the first response to anything that happens on campus and then they usually bring decal police involving yeah um the niu campus police were the first to get involved so rumors immediately started swirling that um you know they found a body in malta which is a few towns over Mm -hmm. and that a girl that looked like tony was spotted in southern illinois so there's a lot of miscommunication Yeah. yeah so that we're going to go through a timeline here. Um, so just remember these times when I'm shouting out the dates at you. Okay. Um, Take notes. So <laughs> all of those proved to be false. So on October 18th, so this is four days after she went missing, okay. a fellow photography student scheduled a community search party to look for the missing freshman. A community hall meeting took place on campus that also aided investigators by putting together a tip hotline and an information area off of campus. So... There was a lot of activity after she went missing, almost immediately, 24 hours after she went missing. Um, yeah. There were posters all over the building. Um, the 
art students are very, very close-knit group of people. Mm -hmm. So they, like, sprung into action. They were contacting the police. They were putting together uh, candlelight vigils. They were putting together all kinds of things. Posters. Yeah. They did community outreach. They set up the tip line before the police did. Like, they were super involved. They even went to the school and they're like, She's missing. We need to, like, lock it down. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of community involvement. Um, it was a whirlwind of information. This went, this went very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so they started uh, passing out flyers along the commons, and they posted uh, the meeting area in and around NIU. Um, the commons was kind of the hot spot. In this very center of the campus, yeah. not too far from the art building, yeah. Um, but that's where the students were posted, like at all times, mm-hmm. and it was just like the entire campus was littered with her flyers, and yeah. I can still remember seeing them just everywhere on the ground, on the yeah. walls, on the poster board, like. everywhere well you got a thing too this is october you said so Mm -hmm. like school has just gotten back in and everybody is there like in full force you've got thousands of students on campus at this point so um they decided to do a grid by grid search of the entire campus and the surrounding area and it yielded absolutely nothing wow um there was these yellow ribbons that was like the symbol of her missing as yellow was her favorite color. Um, they were tighter on everything. Mm-hmm. People were wearing yellow ribbons. It was like her symbol of her disappearance. Yeah. Uh, it was, oh my gosh. It was hard to go to school knowing that this girl was missing and knowing that this town has had some bad things happen in the past and just getting this gut feeling that it's not right. Something's very wrong. We're going to find out soon that she's dead. Like it, everyone knew, but no one wanted to say anything. Right. Um, Especially this is her first semester of college. That's crazy. It was, I mean, we, we started, uh, the third week of August. Uh So we were probably like three weeks in. Yeah. And she goes missing. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so on October 20th, law enforcement of DeKalb became involved and they conducted a search of their own along all of the major waterways in the area. Um, like I said, there was flyers everywhere. People were wearing Tony buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the police were pretty, well, at the time, we thought, pretty open with, you know, what they were doing um, and how they were going to, you know, a- a tackle this yeah. uh, issue of finding her. So on October 21st, DeKalb County Major Case Squad was made uh, to together with the law enforcement from NIU DeKalb Sycamore, DeKalb County Sheriffs, and the Illinois State Police. They put together this huge group of people with all these different law enforcement and uh, detectives to kind of be the main point of contact. Yeah. And they were the ones who were going to really... Which sounds great. You're, like, pooling your resources. Exactly. And, yeah. Like, wow, this mm-hmm. is amazing. These people are working together. Everything seems to be going pretty smoothly. Sure. But the truth of the matter is that the public actually knew about 10% of what was going on. Yeah. It was very fucked up. Wow. Um, okay. This is another reason why I hate DeKalb Police Department. Yeah. Um, I have a very 
big issues with them. The way that they handle or don't handle things <laughs> and the yeah. reason why the NIU police department had to be created in the first place yeah. um, was because of the lack of just knowing sure. what the fuck to do as a police officer. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> um, so days later, on October 23rd, the case was recla- uh, reclassified in a press briefing as a death investigation, which is just a fancy way of saying a homicide. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to play for you a brief clip. Um, the clip in its entirety is 23 minutes long. We ain't um, got time for that. No. So <laughs> I'm going to play just like maybe five minutes of the investigation lead kind of discussing what is happening. Um, we will have a link for the entire clip, but we're just going to play a short snippet for you right now so you can kind of get a feel of the gravity mm-hmm. of the situation. And this is also going to kind of give you a hint and a clue as to what we actually really don't know and they actually do know more than they want to tell us. So... Okay. Basically, they are uh, looking and searching for items of interest, and they're interviewing anyone that they feel might be able to contribute information to this case. Tony was reported missing to us on Friday of last week at approximately uh, 6.09 p.m., NIU Police Department began investigating uh, her whereabouts uh, immediately and a be on the lookout message, uh, nationwide message, was sent out uh, shortly thereafter. There have been searches that have been conducted every day uh, since that time. The areas of the searches were primarily uh, on campus as well as south of the Union Pacific Railroad tracks because we had information that uh, she was heading to that area uh, to, do, uh, to do some sketches and spend some time there. Uh, that area is a, um, there's woods, there's tall grass, Uh, It's at different parts of that area, which is approximately 150 acres. uh, It's very dense in areas. It also has the Kishwaukee River flowing through it. That area has been searched several times, and we continue to search that area for items of interest. Search dogs have been used uh, several times, in this case, uh, with the assistant, we've asked for the assistance, which we have in past cases, many times, the services of Midwest Canine. We've also conducted two air searches, and we've utilized the services of the St. Charles Fire Department dive team. As I mentioned, uh, we do have a, uh, a river in that area. It's not, for those of you that are unfamiliar with it, It's not a large river. It's not considered a navigable river uh, by the state of Illinois, although at times you can float a small raft down uh, down that river. And fortunately at this point, uh, the river is uh, quite low because of the lack of rain recently. I would also um, 
like to uh, extend my thanks to the community for those who have provided us with information as well as uh, who have cooperated with uh, investigators. Uh, appreciate those individuals coming forward, individuals that have helped distribute posters. Um, <laughs> okay. <clears throat> it's a very long-winded, <coughs> very long-winded um, press briefing. Briefing, not brief at all. Literally 25 minutes. <laughs> Uh, so as Janelle said, we'll put that up on the, both on the website and we'll drop a link to it on the Facebook page as well. Um, so that was the police chief, Bill Fython. Uh, he was the one who's doing all the press briefings and he was the liaison contact between the public mm -hmm. and the investigators. Um, now this was on October 23rd, so just please keep in mind of the timeline because it's going to get real confusing real quickly. And um, we're also going to bounce back and forth between time a little bit. Okay. Okay. So they so, made, it was October 23rd. That was a press briefing where they reclassified the case as a death investigation. Okay. Uh, supposedly tips were given stating that Tony might possibly be dead and somewhere in and around Prairie Park. On October 24th, parts of Prairie Park were sectioned off and reports of human remains were found. After this discovery, the police went completely quiet. Uh, there were no further press briefings. Uh, the park was shut down. Okay. And there were several community meetings about safety and the park. Uh, several night ride share programs were offered to students, and the police presence on campus was super fucking heavy. Okay. Um, the art building has a parking lot adjacent to it where all the art students uh, would park. Um, there were cops, literally, every single corner yeah of that campus especially around the art building yeah there's also like a parking lot around the back side and there was like a huge like retention pond mm -hmm. there were police standing in the in the quad back there just like everywhere yeah you couldn't fucking turn around without there being a police officer yeah um i mean the campus was full of niu police and it, even if you went off campus um like i would go downtown DeKalb to have lunch at like this you know hippie vegan place yeah and there were cops just sitting in their cars on the street like there were police everywhere I have never seen that many police officers in my entire life yeah the entire city was swarming with people it was in the national news um it was just out of control and when yeah. they said that they found human remains I mean, they never stated that it was her right off the bat, but everybody yeah. well, knew. Well, of course, the minute you say, we found these remains, that's when everybody's going to want to know. That's when exactly. everybody's going to start asking questions. So, on October 26th, um, an announcement was made that the police believed the burned remains found in Prairie Park to be that of Tony Keller. Belongings found at the body were identified as hers. However, the body was so badly burned that it could not be identified. And the remains were being sent for DNA analysis. So, um, this is where things kind of get a little confusing. Okay. Uh, this is like the kicker, the curveball to this story. And this is where it just, this is where the story gets infuriating if you're <laughs> paying attention to my tone. Okay. Um, the human remains in the park were actually found on October 16th. Okay. Two days after Tony had disappeared. Wow. And they did not release to the public until 10 days later 
that they had found remains in the park. Well, and this was after, of course, they told the public that it was reclassified as death. They didn't state that until the 23rd. Yeah. Well, and it wasn't until... And they found until... a body on the 16th. Yeah. Well, and did they... <sighs> so did they say that they had the remains at the reclassification press no. briefing? It was after that, even, They didn't too. state So they had another opportunity... the 26th of October that they had found a body. Yeah. So they had another opportunity to tell the public about the remains they found and didn't take it and waited another couple of days. Yes. Okay. Um, the police sat on this info as the community came together to search for her. Fythen said he does not believe the police needed to notify the public of the remains any sooner than they did. The police did not want to mistakenly inform anyone before it was determined that they were human and people were outraged. Uh, that part of the park was permanently closed where they found her body. Yeah. Um, the park's still open itself, but you're not allowed to go back there. Like, they made it very difficult for you to get back to that part of the park. Yeah. Um, parents and teachers basically exploded in the, on the media, and it was just, like, this huge hoopla. Her parents freaked the fuck out and they were like this is a violation of public safety you found a body two days after she went missing you didn't inform us that she was found or a body was found or any information whatsoever yeah um you didn't let it be known and all of these children children were walking around this campus right when there is a potential murderer yeah loose you know, and I think, and I'm not trying to make excuses for the police department, and there could have been reasons why they didn't tell the public, and I get that. I mean, a lot of it comes down to, like, identifying the body, right. but at the same time, the fact that even the parents of this missing girl didn't know that there was a body that could possibly have been their daughter found, regardless of if it is or not, I still think that it is important to keep them just as in the loop um as like you know what i, I mean completely like, agree <laughs> the, fact, the fact that they didn't even like forget the public thing for a minute mm-hmm. that you found a body that you suspected in your investigation was their daughter and you didn't say anything to them for they found days. personal effects of hers with his body exactly her camera right so then let's let the parents for the next 10 days think that their daughter is alive and missing somewhere yeah that is like cruel that's that's just cruel it's like oh they put together this task force oh they're being so open and honest with the public and then you come to find out that they have a body and they're sitting on this information yeah not even telling family members who need to know this not heightening security the very fact okay so don't tell us that you found a body. Yeah. That's fine. Like, I can see that so you don't rile up the public and put them into hysteria. But you like, I can need get that. to be yeah. increasing your presence long before 10 days later. Right. That's absurd. Well, and the other part of me, too, is like, as a person who, like, thinking as a person who would have been out on those searches and spent, like, that was a waste of fucking time. It was a waste of time, Why money, are we effort. Still looking for somebody who's dead, like you found her personal effects with a burned body. Yeah. Granted, it does take a while to identify DNA. Right. But that's a strong indicator that right. that's her. And it's hard for me to believe that if they would have come out and said, 
we found remains. We believe them to be Tony's, but we're not sure. We're running testing. It's hard for me to believe that people would stop looking at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't. I, mean, I, I don't think that everybody. I think there would definitely be this feeling of while they think those are her remains, we're going to keep looking until exactly, until we've definitively yeah. found out. I can understand sitting on it for a couple of days, but sitting on it for over a week. Yeah, that's just fucking ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We pay you as a police officer to protect us. Yeah, you need to give us some sort of information so that we can be prepared. Yeah, it's just. I have never heard of this happening. Right. Yeah. In any case I have ever read about the police department sitting on information of this magnitude for more than a couple days. Yeah. It's just blows my fucking mind. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we have this entire, entire campus coming together to search for this girl when they pretty much have found her. Mm-hmm. It blows my fucking mind. Yeah. I think, I think the fact that they didn't tell the parents of tony is what really irritates they're gonna put this this family through the fucking mill it is gonna get real difficult for them before it gets better um it's bad yeah (laughs) so um on friday october 29th a person of interest was detained in louisiana in connection with the disappearance and potential murder of antoinette keller the police refused to comment further on this and in a statement that fithen finally gave to the public um He thanked them for the numerous tips and leads that uh, was provided in the case. And according to the release, the police have received over 1,000, or not 1,000, 210 leads, (laughs) 1,000 leads, 210 leads. It's hard to read when you're looking down. Yes. Because, like, the microphone is, like, I know, that's why I had to put put my laptop on the Goblet of Fire. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So they received 210 leads. And then on the 29th, it was announced that the man in custody... Um, was 34-year-old William P. Curl of DeKalb, Illinois. The police stated we became interested in Curl after he failed to appear for a scheduled interview with us. Okay. Interesting. Weird. Uh, Fython said, at the point, we had reason to believe he had material information and he had fled the jurisdiction to avoid providing that information to police. Okay. So at this point, he's only considered a person of interest because he might have information. Right. Um, and then he fled to Louisiana. Okay. With the assistance of his mother. Suspicious. Very suspicious. And he was on his way to charter a boat to Mexico. That is so wicked suspicious. Extremely fucking yeah. suspicious. Um. It's just going to get more suspicious. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, So the interview was scheduled on October 25th and would have been his second interview with DeKalb police. Curl was arrested on the 26th in Covington, Louisiana, after stealing his mother's car and fleeing to Mexico, but coming back over the border into the United States to then charter a fucking boat. What? Mm. Um, He was a longtime resident of DeKalb and he was a frequent visitor to Prairie Park. Um... Which, as we know, was the last place that Keller was known to be headed. Um, this story is very weird. It is weird. <laughs> the investigation is fucked. The person of interest is fucked. It's just fucked. Um, they don't announce to the public that there is a person of interest until the 29th. They scheduled several interviews with him. They captured him on the 26th. They allowed him time to flee. I... 
just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. None of this makes sense to me. Yeah. I have read this case hundreds of times. I have been preparing since we said that we were going <laughs> to have a podcast to do this case because it was happening at the time I was there and it yeah. was so fresh in my mind, but there was just so little information being given. Right. And even now going back and looking, there is barely any info. I had to go through hundreds of of articles from different newspaper sources to sure. put together this information. They just didn't let us know anything. Um, okay. So, um, this is kind of Fython talking about Curl, the person of interest. They were in a secluded area and we know she had walked to the park and he was in the park and found her. Fython said he believes the incident was a crime of opportunity. Curl was charged with arson, sexual criminal assault, and five counts of first-degree murder committed on or about October 14th. Um, so really quick, interesting that he's charged with arson versus, um, like, desecration of a corpse or, like, um, there's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a couple, like, a handful of charges that has to do with um, doing something to the body afterwards versus arson tends to de be like strictly lighting object X Here's the issue on with fire. This. They could not determine whether or not she was alive or dead when she was set on fire. Okay. And there was sig significant damage to the park. Yeah. So as okay. a broad generalization, so they was, charged him with arson. So she was lit on fire. Her body was lit on fire in the park. Inside the park. Okay. I gotcha. They couldn't determine how she had died. Interesting. Yeah. Um, My issue is... Uh, I have so many issues. I went, I'll save all the issues and questions that I have till the end. Because okay. I'm going to just rapid fire be like, riddle me this one. Why? <laughs> all right. Okay. Um... So, Curl, uh, previously, a little background on him, had been hospitalized with mental health issues in the past, and it was his defense's aim to kind of steer this trial to not guilty by reason of mental defect. Wait, hold on. Can I ask one more question? Sure, go ahead. Why did he get five counts of first-degree murder? That, I don't know. Okay. I know... I know like charging people with things is really weird that's why a lot of times when i run into this we'll talk we'll like go in depth into the legalese of all of it but like that one seems really weird i'm wondering they changed the um charges yeah after a while they okay. dropped a couple of them okay. and i think they even dropped the arson charge yeah well i think sometimes they overcharge oh, so always. that you can compromise on stuff later exactly. if they're trying to get a deal or whatever um, yeah his trial and plea and the outcome mm -hmm. is very confusing. Oh, boy. And I went back and forth reading documents to kind of better understand it. And the truth is you just it's it's like they just threw stuff out there and yeah. whatever stuck was what they charged him with. Yeah. And there are so many questions that I have and so many questions that his like their parents his family no one really understands the basis of this entire thing like yeah. why he was there why they he think he did it all all of these questions sure um and he also doesn't really i mean this man has an iq 
of a 10-year-old. Oh, no, yeah. He has a family, but he's estranged from it. Um, He has a son, which is a... That'll be brought up later. Yeah. Um, It just... It's so weird. There's right, so many yeah. twists and turns to this. There's yeah. going to be a lot of questions that I ask at the end where I I can't suss it out in my head. Yeah. I just can't. It, yeah. just, it just confuses me too much. Um, there was a large amount of evidence compiled against Curl. Um, they had handwritten notes, their case reports, their photography. A DVD of his interview was conducted uh, by the major case squad. All of this information, I mean, it looks pretty fucking damning. Yeah. Uh, the state also turned over surveillance footage pertaining to the investigation from a 7-Eleven, a Taco Bell, and Casey's General Store. These are all in and around the area. Yeah. They're um, all really close to each other down there. Because those are all buildings that are still there, for sure. Oh, yes. Definitely. Um, there was also, though, a lot of campus footage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just on the outskirts. Yeah. Um, all of this footage was never released to the public. There's no um, transcript or information that I could find or locate uh, about this footage, and I feel it is very important to this case because he claims that the footage that he's seen on definitively proves that he could have not been in the park at the time of her murder because he was on all of these videotapes. But did you say that he pled? Is that what you said? He pled not guilty at first. Okay. At first. Okay. And then changed his plea. And then try to change it again. Okay. Because I'm wondering... Well, I'll wait until... I'll wait until yeah, sure. you're done. Um, so they also had records from the Housing Authority of DeKalb County and a DNA sample taken from him. Mm-hmm. He also confessed. Okay. Okay. So it gets a little weird. He initially denied ever seeing Keller, and then he said he happened upon her dead body mm-hmm. in the forest, which then he burned. Okay. Doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Not really. Which is... Also, probably why they initially charged him with arson, because supposedly she was already dead, so he just set a fire. Um, Curl also claimed that he and Keller were having sex in the park when she had a seizure and hit her head on a rock. Oh, okay. That sounds Um, legit. She does not have any history of seizures or any sort of uh, epilepsy or anything like that. So he that he had a seizure? No, that she had a okay. seizure. He claims that she had a seizure okay. while they were having sex. Gotcha. Okay? This man, again, has the mental capacity of a child. Right, yeah. And he just starts spitting out all of these weird, random, unrelated stories about how he found her mm-hmm. and she was already dead or that he had just seen her walking in there or and actually they actually had sex Yeah, and then she just happened to die. Yeah. So at this time, it was still not determined whether or not the bones were Tony's, um, but he was indicted and determined to be mentally fit to stand trial. Okay. So January 6th, we're going way fast forward here, the remains from the park were identified as Antoinette Keller. It took them three months, almost, to identify her remains. Sounds about right. Um, Her family, however, this is where it gets fucked again. Um, Her family was not able to receive her remains, as the defense had their own out-of-state forensics anthropologist reviewing them. Um, The issue with this was the remaining DNA available from the remains would be the last viable amount of DNA to be tested. So if there were any issues with the tests, they could not test the DNA further. Okay. So they were trying to get their own 
forensic anthropologist file. Yeah. Um, to determine cause of death. Uh, the you defense know. was? Yes, the okay. defense. And uh, just, you know, the general information to build their own case. Sure. Um, these poor people, first of all, weren't told that their daughter was found. Secondly, they can't even take her remains for a memorial because the fucking guy who supposedly killed her wants to set up his defense saying, oh, you know, I didn't do anything. I just set her on fire and she happened to die in the forest and I know nothing about it. Um, So they weren't able to give her a memorial for I think it was like another month. Yeah. It was just add insult to injury here. Right. Yeah. Um, so he pleaded not guilty to all counts against him, and he was uh, sentenced to 37 years without a chance of parole because he took an Alfred plea deal. Okay. And we all know about Good old Alfred, Alfred plea. plea deals. Yes. Okay? Yeah. Now, so he took this plea deal. So for those, just really quick, for yeah. those of you that don't know what an Alfred plea is, um, basically what it does is it, you're not... Um, putting in a guilty plea necessarily, but you're saying that the prosecution has enough evidence um, that a, potentially a jury would yeah. reasonably find you guilty. Mm-hmm. So rather than going to trial, you take an Alfred plea. Um, Just to kind of save you that potential for life in prison. Yeah. yeah, a lot of times it's a lower sentence than what it actually is. And 37 uh, years see, to be exact without yeah. a chance of parole. So you'd have to serve it 37 years. And you see Alfred pleas a lot. Um, come into play in cases of wrongful conviction too when people are trying they get their cases overturned the prosecution doesn't necessarily want to go through with trying them all over again they'll offer them out for pleas etc etc so yeah so he um took this plea deal then he decided well fuck um i'm gonna petition to have this deal thrown out because um i was railroaded Mm -hmm. and i was forced to confess okay so, coerced confession. Um, in his petition, Curl stated, surveillance video from local businesses near the park will show that he was at various locations during the time when Keller disappeared, making it impossible for him to have killed her and incinerated her body. Okay. He also said his attorneys failed to investigate other potential suspects. He's still, to this day, ap- appealing this deal. Okay. Now, he states um, that he was did not have a fair trial. He was railroaded. He was forced to confess. Um, he was not offered a substantial, uh, you know, defense. Yeah. I think his defense was plenty substantial. I mean, they had their own forensic anthropologist. They yeah. had the video surveillance footage. Obviously, none of those things were going to benefit his case, and his defense did not use them. Right. My issue with his appeal of this is he never says that he is not guilty Mm -hmm. he's like i just didn't have a good enough defense they didn't show the right you know footage from the cameras they didn't do this that and the other Mm -hmm. but never does he state that he is actually not guilty okay it's so confusing yeah i i don't understand why he takes a plea deal and then just goes, oh, never mind. <laughs> like, Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty common um, if you think you're getting a decent deal, but then 
really, you know, maybe it seems like your defense is going to do a better job than they you thought they would originally. So maybe it's more prudent I mean, to not take a deal. I know he's not going to be able to be up for parole. Yeah. But he only got 37 years mm-hmm. for the murder of a girl. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Serve your time and shut the fuck up. Like, seriously? What I was thinking when you mentioned not being able to find, like, um, like the video evidence Mm -hmm. and some of the transcripts and things, I wondered, and I'm I'm thinking because of the Alfred plea, um, this might be the case, is that because it didn't go to a jury trial or a judge trial, um, they're not, either those pieces of evidence don't fall under FOIA um and so therefore are not as easily available mm-hmm. um and same thing with the transcripts whether you know you wouldn't have extended transcripts of everybody putting out um this evidence during a court proceeding because it didn't happen mm-hmm. you know so i'm wondering right. if that's why you had maybe a little trouble finding that stuff i mean there it was hard to research this yeah um to get like definitive facts i mean obviously <laughs> other than the coverage from the media which yeah i mean the the paper um, in DeKalb, their Northern Star, mm-hmm. um, they have lots and lots and lots and lots of information available. Yeah. Um, clips, articles, interviews with students. They have the fucking poster that they put up all over the place for her when she went missing. Sure. Um, they were the most, like, legit source I could find. Mm-hmm. It, it was so much information all at once that I just read through everything several times. Um, but it's still, like, not giving you facts. It's so loose. Right, yeah. And they talk about all of his, like, you know, trying to rescind on his plea deal and all this stuff. But, like, they never really explain, like, what he's going to, you know, do or say to get this uh, taken back. So right, yeah. I have all these questions. Like, they never discuss why the case was reclassified as a death investigation and why it wasn't a homicide case to start instead of a disappearance. They found a body. Yeah. They found a body. Although that, <laughs> that doesn't seem as weird to me in the context of what the public knew at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can't classify anything as a, as a death investigation or a homicide investigation until you have evidence of some sort of foul play. Mm-hmm. Now, the I fact mean, that they had evidence, <laughs> yeah, the fact that they had evidence and weren't saying anything to the public is a mm-hmm. whole different story, but yeah. just from what the public knew, I can kind of get that. But yeah, they definitely had the evidence. Yeah. You know, they never talk about what happened between her disappearance and the remains being found in the park. They never offer any sort of story explanation as to how he happened upon her what like their mm-hmm. you know what their philosophy of the case was yeah um they also never fully explain how they came to identify curl or what his possible motive was they just i mean just because someone frequents a park and happens to be in that area does not necessarily right. mean that they're going to be a murderer right and i mean how is he even capable of this act he has no history of violence he has the mental capacity of a fucking child i mm-hmm. mean it just it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right? And then you also have him f- fleeing. How did they come to his name? Yeah, they're definitely... How did they identify him? Are a lot of gaps There's in so many questions. The timeline. They never talk about yeah. any other person of interest. Yeah. They never talk about possible motives. They just say it's a crime of opportunity. Sure. In crimes of opportunity, more often than not, the person committing this crime of opportunity 
has some sort of history or record or has offended in some degree right before he has nothing traffic tickets yeah was that gonna make you a murderer all of a sudden yeah no what happened to the campus surveillance footage yeah they release all this other stuff they give it to the defense but they never make mention of the campus surveillance footage yeah how did no one see the fire or hear anything that was happening in that park yeah how far is the park from like houses i mean is it like in a subdivision kind of a thing where there's just there's like... apartment complexes yeah and there's that entire strip mall okay and then there's a huge main thoroughfare in the woods that yeah. park is frequented all the time yeah so wait is that park across from uh the junction it's behind it okay okay yeah I it's gotcha. behind the junction i gotcha which um, i don't honestly think i've ever been back that far behind that place so yeah it's yeah it's a well-known area for the art students because it's a good place to sketch to get a lot of good landscape. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's a variety of terrain. Yeah. Um, I just feel like the police weren't forthcoming in this investigation. Mm-hmm. They didn't give us information. We never really learned a possible motive. I feel like in a lot of these cases that we review... A lot of times they discuss the motive. Yeah. And in this yeah. one, all we get is that it's a crime of opportunity. Uh-huh. Now, I read um, some articles uh, about, like, possible conspiracies. This was sure. down a dark rabbit hole on some yeah. discussion boards yeah. with NIU students and alum. Um, they made mention that he had a son mm-hmm. and that his son had um a penchant for younger girls okay and they also kind of discuss that the evidence physical evidence that they found um that belonged to curl um was sneakers that he had owned that had her blood on it now they never found those sneakers Mm -hmm. in his possession they found them at the dump um however they could not prove that he actually wore them. So they were just sneakers that he owned at some point or another that also had her blood on, on them. them. Literally okay. like a drop of blood. Yeah. Well, that's all you need. And they found them in the dump. Um, there was this conspiracy that his son committed the crime and he tried to cover it up. Yeah. But that doesn't explain why he fled. Yeah. I think... I just, it's hard for me to connect this man to this murder. There has to be something else. There has to be something deeper. There has yeah. to be some other issue. I can't I can't connect it. Yeah. It just in my mind it doesn't make sense why a person could all of a sudden just kill somebody and set them on fire. Yeah. I I think that it's not for me to say whether or not he did or didn't do it because mm-hmm. obviously there's evidence out there that we haven't seen. I would like to think that if his defense team um took an alfred plea that clearly there is some sort of hard evidence um that ties him to this crime and maybe because it never went to a jury or judge trial um uh that they just it hasn't been out put out there to the public again because maybe it doesn't fall under a foia request Mm -hmm. or something along those lines um 
But I definitely think that it is clear that the way the police department handled the investigation of the case and the way they handled the case in front of the public was not great. Um, There were a lot of things that, in hindsight, I'm sure they are saying, yeah, well, we probably could have handled this a better way. Um, And hopefully they've learned from that and will have improved it now in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is clear that as far as the investigation goes, there was a lot that was really fucked up with how they they handled it, I think. The police department was so shady. Yeah. And I don't even <laughs> think it's necessarily like, sometimes you see this when they're trying to cover something up or, you know, and I don't necessarily think it was that. I just mm-hmm. think it was bad police work. Yeah. And the fact that they honed in on one person. Yeah. Right off the bat. Yeah. I mean... That's well, and not maybe, what you maybe do they in an investigation. Did. Maybe they didn't. We don't really know that because they yeah. haven't said, oh, yeah, we've also questioned, um, you know, two other males, not even necessarily releasing names, but to say we've had, you know, two other males and a female in that we've questioned extensively and have ruled them out. That would be a different thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it was just you just you just there's so much information that you don't know. I mean, in cases like this, the community involvement is is the key. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they were trying to hide a lot of information and making it seem like they didn't really know what was going on just proves to me that they still, even after all this time, still can't fucking figure their shit out. Right. The DeKalb Police Department... They want to make it seem like they're this small hometown police department, but you have big city fucking problems. Mm -hmm. Don't pretend that it doesn't exist. There was a fucking mass shooting on this campus. If that can happen, anything can happen. Yeah. And it's, I mean, regardless of how small the town is, it's still a college town. Yeah. And your population between the months of August to June, yeah, is that of a much larger city. You know, yeah. even even though the campus has its own police force. Um, Those kids aren't living on campus. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. And yeah, that can only help so much if you're if you're on campus and if yeah. you're like staying in dorms. But most of the time, that's not the case. Yeah. I just feel so bad for her family and her friends and her roommates who were doing everything that they could. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they put that family through so much yeah it's it's so sad i mean they did set up a a, a photography scholarship in her name um mm-hmm. there's a memorial um there is a plaque in the art building i mean you can't go to school there and be an art student and not know this story it's yeah. something that is talked about all the time um for a very long time after this happened, there were so many students doing projects on this deep, dark subject, and there was a boom in campus about um, security and safety. Uh, yeah. There was all of these precautions and things put into place after her disappearance and her eventual, I mean, finding out she was murdered. Um, they have, they used to have these call boxes and they stopped working yeah yeah. they reissued all of this stuff to put in more call boxes they have the night share program where you can call at any time of the night and have an niu van 
come and pick you up, whether it be yeah. you're drunk, you're lost, whatever it is. Um, there was actually a huge sexual assault initiative that was started yeah. by the women's uh, group. Also, like kind of like a phone tree of support where you can yeah. call into this. Well, I'm thinking even just like setting up those call boxes. The instances of sexual assault on college campuses, oh, yeah. that's not a small number. And like no. having those in general should be a thing that I I feel like every college campus should do. I went when I when I started at college, um, I went to Concordia University Chicago and which is a small campus. I mean it's it's a block. It's one city block is the size of the campus. And they still had call boxes. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of places for if you didn't feel safe when you were walking around at night, you know, and it's like, I I mean, it's like one of the smallest campuses I've ever been on. So, I mean, if something that size can, can provide that, I mean, I don't see why other colleges, MCC has call boxes and that's a community college. Yeah. Like, it's very real. Yeah. It's very, very real. It doesn't yeah. matter how small town your college feels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Death is at every door. <laughs> like, exactly. There's no yeah. other way for me to put this. I mean, it's it's disheartening. I mean, NIU's had so many issues. There was that kid who wandered off in the middle of the night. He was drunk. He died in the middle of a fucking field. He yeah. froze to death. Yeah. I mean, it's important to put these things into place, to know that these kids have someone who will help them if they need it. Yes. But you also can't go into this experience blindly and being like, I'm in college, it's okay. That's like the biggest point in your life where something fucked up like this could potentially happen. It's like, open your eyes. I'm not disillusioned to this fact. I I went to school in the city for a very long time. Yeah. I walked 12 blocks to school Mm -hmm. in an area that was not great. Yeah. You can't expect to be safe. Shit happens no matter what town you're in, no matter what school you go to. You need to know your resources, and these campuses need to provide them for you. If you are at a school or a college that does not have these services, you need to say something and get this shit put together. Right. Because it does save lives. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are tons of girls and probably boys out there who were able to get that van call from NIU and get home safely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I it's agree. a scary thought, but like, shit happens. Shit That's happens. What this podcast man. is about. Yeah. Everything we talk about is literally the scariest day Prepare in somebody's life. For and the this fucking shit worst. Happens. It happens. I'm getting very animated <laughs> over here with my gesticulations. Take a breath. Take a breath. <laughs> but this was, I mean, this story has stuck with me yeah. for years. And it's a, a good cautionary tale. I mean, this was her first experience outside of her home and it ends in such a horrible tragedy. And I think it's a good lesson to people out there who are just starting up their life and their experience and their adventure on their own. Like Mm -hmm. use your head, be safe, like know where you are, know your resources. Yeah. Prepare yourself. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So that was story of Antoinette Keller so depressing (laughs) so we're gonna switch gears a little bit it's gonna be less depressing i hope
No. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's college. No, it's How college. could it be less direct? Hashtag college. <laughs> oh I love college. Is there going to be like a frat in here or something? No. <sighs> Damn no, it. But no we are quintessential going, college we, things. We are going to an Ivy League school. Uh-huh. Not this dirtbag NIU in the middle of a field. <laughs> now we're going to... So my story takes place at Dartmouth College. Ooh. Yes. And Fancy this pants. is what I would call painting a picture with my words. Yes. So regale up. me. <laughs> this is gonna. Yeah, it might be jumping around. So hopefully you guys can keep up. Keep up. Yes. Um. All right. On the evening of July seventeenth, two thousand, a man named Andrew Patty was hanging out with his eleven-year-old son. Suddenly, there was a loud knock on the door, and it was just past ten p.m. So it was like a really weird hour for somebody to show up at their house. Um. Andrew had an immediate sense that something was up and told his son to stay where he was while he answered the door. As he walked to the door, um, he got out a nine millimeter Glock that he kept in a side holster and kept it out of sight from whoever happened to be knocking at the door. Um, He looked through the curtains outside and Andrew could see a young man that wasn't familiar to him and described him as about six feet tall, lanky, dressed in a white t-shirt, black cargo pants, uh, and black military boots. Andrew asked through the window what they wanted, and the stranger replied that they were having some car trouble and asked for help. Uh, something about this really, like, didn't feel right, though. Right. <laughs> and so he refused to open the door, eventually holding, actually holding his Glock up to the window. Um, like, just, like, tapping on it? like Yeah, like, hey, I have a gun. It's time for you guys to get the fuck out. Excuse me, sir. Yeah. Um... So he holds up the Glock to the window, tells these these tells this guy to beat it, um, and he finally leaves. Afterwards, he thought, "Well, I should probably call the police." And he goes to to call the police, but when he tried, found out that the phone lines had been cut. I always wonder about that. Yeah, how do you locate the phone line? No idea. Where do you cut it? Pick a cable, <laughs> any cable. Cut all the cables. Cut all of them. Yes. Um, so he realized that the phone lines were cut. Uh, by this time, though, the man that was at his doorstep uh, left, seemingly scared off by this guy holding a Glock to the window. I would fucking run away. I'd be like, fuck that. Yeah. Okay. So. Also, I mean, cell phone question mark? Yeah. Well, 2000. I had a cell phone. Not that I didn't. In 2000? Yeah. No way. I didn't get a phone until 2006 when I could drive. I shared it with my mother yeah. and it was a Nokia. Yeah, no. My... I used to take the little antenna out with my tooth and like mm-hmm. push it back down. Yeah, you no, know, I didn't get a like cell phone until I could kid. drive. Well, I didn't personally own one yes. until I could drive. Yeah. But when I left the house, my mother would give me hers. There you <laughs> go. Um, so this kid, whoever was at his doorstep, they he ran off. What Andrew didn't realize at the time um, is that not only had this mysterious person cut the phone lines at the house, but he also had a partner who had been waiting crouched in the bushes next to the house for Andrew to open the door. And the two had also taken the time to dig makeshift graves next to the house. (laughs) So let's talk about who these two guys are. Um, Let's talk about... The fucking graves in your yard. Weird, right? <laughs> oh, my God. 
So Robert Tullock, who was 17, and James Parker, who's 16, were, you're like, you're pretty average high school kids. Um, neither of them had really ever been in serious trouble in their hometown of Chelsea, New Hampshire. James was into playing the bass and keyboard, and some of his classmates described him as the class clown. Sometimes I often describe these people as, like, the twerps in your class, you know? It's like... I use a more harsh word for that. I mean, but they're like... A twat. (laughs) In the British term, a twat. (laughs) These are the people who are like, they aren't causing enough they're causing enough problems to be disrupted disruptive in class because it's like funny but it's not like ever really doing really serious funny. harm to anybody <laughs> yeah i mean it's like it's kind of how like sad stupid. their life is yeah. um let's see robert appeared um to be this like clean cut valedictorian type of guy he was at the top of his class, along with being the former president of the student council and a member of the debate team. Nerd alert. Pinky's out. Yeah. Um, I wish we had a debate team. Just give me a reason to yell in people's no. faces with some sort of direction. <laughs> While he was, like, talented by academic standards, he was also described as, like, being a bit cocky. Um, one of the debate coaches from this rival school, I found, had a quote. Um, saying he felt Robert was downright cruel to the opposition. He had a lot of talent, except that he pushed the envelope. So he was kind of like that really smart asshole is mm. basically the impression I get. Like Snarky. knew that he was smart and like shoved it in everybody's face kind of a thing. Um, the two of them, though, had much larger plans from them- for themselves. In a confession given to police later, Um, James explained to police that they felt that small town life was far too confining for people of vastly superior intelligence like them. (laughs) Um, So, of course, what did they decide to do? They're They're so smart. They dug graves into the yard of the people they were going to murder. (laughs) This is the best plan ever. So their big master plan was that they wanted to move to Australia and live a life of crime. Because that's where you go to live a life of crime. I guess. The land of the convicts. (laughs) Maybe. Um, So for all of this, after doing, they did like research to try to figure out flight costs and all this other garbage. And using that Ivy League degree. Yeah, right. (laughs) They settled. Well, they were still high school students, but they lived near Dartmouth. So not even college yet. But they were vastly (laughs) superior intelligence to everybody. So basically Ivy League. That's why there's all this evidence. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So they they decided that they would need $10,000 to get started on this, like, plan to move to Australia. Whirlwind crime yeah. vacation. <laughs> there were a couple of different ideas that they had kicked around um, to get this money, ranging from car theft to mail robbery. Apparently, they did some mail robbery, but they never, like, got any money from it. Because um, no one sends cash in the I mail, guess, you yeah. fucking idiot. <laughs> Um, even one of their plans was even just hitting old people with rocks and stealing their money. You know what? Simple, easy. Right. Who's going to put up a fight? Um, eventually what they landed on was... Can you imagine going to the police being like, someone just clobbered me with a stone. (laughs) Took my wallet. I took my pocketbook. I brought the rock with me. Right. It's like not even the right rock. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so eventually what they landed on was knocking on doors, um, 
yeah was knocking on doors basically <laughs> just knocking knock knock yeah. um so that story that i told at the beginning about andrew patty this attempt on him in july was clearly unsuccessful the guy came to the door with a gun i mean pretty unsuccessful if you ask me um so they decided to try another and that is tactic. why i do not answer my door yeah i know i was Ever. thinking of you the whole time i was researching this <laughs> like janelle would never answer her door like no. this would never happen i'd peer at janelle. you through my closed window <laughs> with your glock yeah no. <laughs> pressed against the door yeah um, just my giant world war ii bayonet knife <laughs> so after this clear failure um in trying to like get money from andrew patty um they decided to try another slightly different tactic. They were still sticking with their knocking on doors plan. Um, but Robert and James decided they would pretend to be students of uh, environmental studies and ask to come into residents' homes to conduct a survey. Once they were inside, they would tie up the victims and pull out a weapon, threatening them until their a- they got their ATM cards and PIN numbers. And it would be six months after this first attempt on Andrew Patty that they would try to do this again. Mm-hmm. So jumping forward a little bit. On January 27th, 2001, they began knocking on doors in Etna, New Hampshire, which is just four miles from the Dartmouth College campus. The first couple of houses, nobody answered. And they chose this area because, so like I said, Dartmouth is an Ivy League school. Mm-hmm. And it's in this area that has a bit of wealth shall yeah, we say if you're able to live yes in this yeah. Area. yeah um so the assumption was of course people who lived in this area would have money um so the first couple of houses that they knocked on nobody answered but eventually they arrived at the home of half and suzanne Su- half and suzanne zantop um they were two dartmouth college professors who were very highly regarded within the community let me give you, I just want to give you a little bit of background on the Zantops. Uh, Hulf and Suzanne met while Hulf was studying geology at Stanford University, and they got married in 1970 and traveled quite a bit to places like Central America, Argentina, and Spain um, for Hulf's work as a mining industry geologist. Okay, Super okay. interesting. I, yeah. Geology was one of those things that was like the worst for me. Are you kidding me? I hate it. It's so oh bad. Oh my god! I specifically didn't take chemistry, yeah. so I could take earths and planetary sciences. <sighs> planetary might have been good, but geology is just like. Bleh. Hey, I like, like a science that I could literally sink my teeth into. If I have to test a rock by licking it, I will do so. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> yes. Anyway, <laughs> um, so after all this traveling, he was recruited by Dartmouth in 1976 and quickly became just like a really popular teacher around campus. Uh, Suzanne then earned her doctorate in comparative literature from Harvard and also joined the Dartmouth faci- uh, faculty. And by 2001, uh, Suzanne was chair of the German department as well as teaching comparative literature. And Half was a professor of earth sciences and geology and even earned the nickname the rock God. Wow. But um Wow. Good old there's a geology joke for you. I know. <laughs> I can't handle it. That's how amazing it is. <laughs> um and I don't know, I feel like I should have put it in this section if I didn't. But the two were originally from Germany. Yeah, so, I could tell his yeah. name is Half. Half, yeah. It's spelled half, but I'm assuming it's Half. Yeah, it is. Um, You're correct. Thanks. Yeah, they were originally from Germany and came over to the US to teach, which mm-hmm. is, explains why she was head of the German department. Right. So anyway, back to January 27th, 2001. 
Uh, Robert and James knocked on the door to the Zantop re- residence and Hulf entered. Hulf answered while Suzanne prepared for a dinner that they were to host later in the evening. Um, Robert and James asked if he had a few minutes to answer some questions about the environment. Do you and have a few course, minutes to answer some questions about the environment? He fucking loves the environment. Rocks. I'm And I'm pretty <laughs> sure, like, how... For them, the luck to ha- to knock on the door. I mean, granted, it was probably the third house that they knocked on. Yeah. To get the guy who is a geologist for environmental, quote unquote, questions. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, Half hesitated. Um, he they were like expecting guests later, and right. there's still just a bunch of shit to do. But of course, being a teacher and a teacher of geology, no less. Half led the boys into his study to answer their questions. For science. For science. <laughs> uh, Robert kept up the charade and fumbled through some like fake survey questions that they had come up with. And after, if you're so smart, you should be able to put a list of fucking questions together. This is the best. You will love <laughs> oh God, this. Read the questions. After, to me. <laughs> well, I don't have the questions, God unfortunately. It, but <laughs> after a few minutes of him, like of of Hoff listening to these boys like fumble through these questions, he commented to them, "You need to be more prepared." He was straight up like, "You guys need to be more prepared," and decided, "You know what? I'm going to hook you up with somebody." who would be a little bit better equipped to maybe help you out. He's a teacher. Wow. He's tra- super yeah. fucking thoughtful. Yeah. <laughs> so he turns to search for the number of a colleague who can help. In the meantime, this comment, they, they talk about this later in police interviews, mm-hmm. this comment about them being more needing to be more prepared um, made Robert pretty angry and he because he thinks he knows everything of course (laughs) yeah he flies into a rage um and takes out a commando style seal 2000 knife um that has a seven inch blade and repeatedly stabs half in the chest and face and at this point, Suzanne her, uh, hears Half screaming from the study and comes running in to see what's happening. If somebody's screaming in my house, I'm not going to come running. I'm going to call the police first. Here's the thing. And is, brandish a weapon. I have Maybe done I'm that. too prepared. Yeah. Come running but or brandish a weapon? Come running <laughs> okay. because I've had times where like... My so for instance, this actually happened not that long ago. My mom makes a really, really great homemade spaghetti sauce, and what she'll do is she'll put it into bags and we'll freeze it, and then we can take it out when we're eating spaghetti and just right. have it for the whole year. She was trying to carry these spaghetti bags downstairs to put them in the freezer. <laughs> Sounds like a Three Stooges sketch. <laughs> what happened? Well, I'm sitting in my room, and she, I think the bags were breaking. The bottom of the, one of the bags broke, or she dropped them or something. And she is standing at the stairwell screaming help. And I'm thinking she fell down the stairs or something. Right. So, of course, I immediately, and I think I was, like, just laying down for a nap, maybe. So I'm, like, a little. Extra Ooh. grumpy. Yeah, so I'm <laughs> running to go help. But, like, in that case, I'm just, like, oh, dear God, my mom just fell down the stairs and I have to take her to the hospital or something. Like, I'm, I mean, to be fair, I'm not expecting to, like see somebody stabbing her if i you know if she yells oh, can i just say an eminem lyric just came into my head which one this week mom's spaghetti uh, <laughs> i'm sorry 
but I'm not. I'm just gonna. I mean, I'm just gonna let you laugh at your joke alone. I'm sorry. <laughs> by uh, yourself, <laughs> I'm sure everyone listening will laugh, uh, and probably. not you, because you lost mom's spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> anyway. Yep. So, Huff's wife Suzanne comes running in. Um, James grabs her immediately and with Robert's instructions, slits her throat. hey Yeah. <laughs> what? Robert then slit Hulf's throat and stabbed Suzanne repeatedly before snatching Hulf's wallet and making their escape. That is some overkill for some cash. How much do you think they got away with? $5? They left with $340. Wow, you're really making a dent in that it. 10 Gs you need. Yeah, right? A couple of hours later, Roxana Verona, a professor professor of French and Italian at Dartmouth, arrived for her dinner with the Zantops. Um, they had said the door will be open, so just come oh, right on in when you get here, which of course she did. But when she walked into the house, she discovered the bodies of Hoff and Suzanne lying in a sea of blood. Um, mm. So she ran next door to the home of Dr. Bover McCollum, uh, who was also a Dartmouth, uh, a former dartmouth instructor um he happened to be the retired dean of dartmouth medical school and so he runs over they calls the police and Mm -hmm. runs over to try and help um to see what he could do so the police get there at first the police thought this was a burglary although it was quickly ruled out as the home was filled with quote treasures from antique temple dogs to laptop computers and the Great. only thing that was missing was Hulk's wallet. So they obviously didn't know. Fucking the, amateur hour, yeah, obviously. The I mean, you have somebody who's traveled the world. They are going to have some, like, you know, crazy expensive doodads from some Central America. I don't even know. Central I American doodads. I, obviously, I do not travel. I'm some not sort of worldly. fertility statue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um so, like I said, the only thing was missing was Hulse Wallet. Uh, after investigation of the crime scene, police discovered a pair of plastic knife sheaths that have been left behind. The sheaths themselves were specifically designed for a commando-style knife. Hmm. Um, and police got to work researching the manufacturer and sales of this type of knife and eventually would narrow the sales... Um, would narrow down on a sales record that led them directly to the two boys. Unbelievable how that can happen. Yeah. Well, and again, I mean, I think a lot of times people assume crime is going to be an easy thing and do not plan ahead (laughs) for things like, I don't know, checking sales receipts to see if they can see okay this manufacturer sells this many of this type of knives how many were sold in this state and then to narrow it down by county and by city to be like how many were sold in this you know within a 20 mile radius of where this murder happened like that's not that hard to you know anyway meanwhile robert and james begin planning and making their next moves for what they're gonna do First, they went back to James uh, James's house and burned their buddy clo- bloody clothes in a furnace in James's dad's wood shop. Then they they drove to Barnes and Noble to search for a book on coping with the emotional aftermath of killing someone. How do you even 
fucking find that. I don't know. That is a very specific genre that I don't think Barnes and Noble is going to have. I'm pretty sure that's nobody. I bet you that nobody to, writes for that genre. I bet you had to order that special. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine that being a thing because because I don't know, murderers. That can't be a thing. Yeah, yeah, because the only people unless it's like accidental death like Maybe. i accidentally killed somebody yeah. or like survivor's guilt i could see oh yeah i could see that but that's a different thing yeah i don't know that's it just was like well okay let's go find a book about unbelievable yes on february 15th police interviewed robert and james although the two claimed to know nothing of the crime and following this on the same evening as the police interview they snuck out of their homes and drove to Massachusetts to ditch their cars and begin hitchhiking across country. The plan was to go out to California, um, but really they did not anticipate how soon they'd be caught. And they were identified as fugitives, like almost immediately. Well, yeah. You get questioned by the police and then you disappear the next day. Like, bye! Huh. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if they're guilty. Right. <laughs> um so they were picked up by a truck driver in New Jersey who quickly recognized them and the driver liaised with the police and met up with them at a truck stop um, in Indiana. And this police officer posed as another driver hmm. who would be taking them on their next leg, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and they ended up arrested. The police caught them at that point in Indiana. So they went from Massachusetts to Indiana. They were trying to get to California and... Made it a quarter of the way. Yeah, not even <laughs> close. The sentencing of Robert and James is the part of this, I think, that I find really interesting. Okay. And I'm wondering if this was, like, partially a tactic by prosecutors to get more information from one of them. But James, although he was 16 at the time of the murders, was to be tried as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, but he made a deal with prosecutors to testify against Robert for a lighter sentence. So he pled guilty to second degree murder and was sentenced to 25 years to life with the possibility of parole after 16 years. Robert, on the other hand, was 17 at the time of the murders and was tried as a juvenile. And initially gave indications that he would be seeking an insanity defense, but he would end up pleading guilty to first-degree murder, as well as becoming the first murder defendant in New Hampshire history to accept a life sentence without the possibility of parole, without any plea bargain or defense. Because he just straight up pled guilty. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is all really important because... um, if you follow any sort of court proceedings or like court reforms in the justice system, um, this part might actually sound kind of familiar to you. So in 2012, um, we got the U.S. Supreme Court decision on Miller versus Alabama. And this found that mandatory life sentences of life without parole for juveniles are unconstitutional. Um, And then in January 2016, the Supreme Court ruled that the finding in Miller is retroactive, meaning that juveniles that received these mandatory sentences before the decision require new sentencing based on their age at the time. Um, Additionally, it offered a second option for states that instead of resentencing the affected prisoners, they can make them eligible for parole. 
Um, so this, of course, applies to Robert because he was originally sentenced as a minor, even though he pled guilty. Um, it was still unconstitutional for him to receive a mandatory life without parole sentence. Right. Um, he is currently awaiting his resentencing, um, which, as best as I could find, is scheduled for April of 2018. So they have it. And this is a really recent decision that it's a retroactive. This, however, does not affect James at all um, Mm. because he was being tried as an adult and took a plea bargain. So as as an adult, I mean, that Mm -hmm. doesn't like change. Taking a plea bargain doesn't change whether you're charged as an adult or not. It's just taking a plea bargain. So he will be in jail no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, Robert actually has the opportunity to be resentenced for possibility of parole maybe time served yeah kind of thing yeah so that is the dartmouth college murders yeah that's really fascinating i i i I mean how could you sentence a child to life i mean i understand that they are pretty cognitive of what they're doing but they're still not mentally at a point or capable enough to really grasp the gravity of the situation yeah and that's a lot of time what it what it comes down to is there is scientific research that supports the fact that an adolescent brain is not fully developed until like 21 Mm -hmm. i want to say um and anybody on i mean even anybody under 18 is like you said not gonna grasp the full gravity of their their actions um and I also think that they're probably children are probably easier to rehabilitate to oh, yeah. um, because of their young minds. I mean, they're just like sponges, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, that's the that. tough one, man. Yeah. <laughs> now I know that was really great, but obviously, <laughs> yes. But maybe you want to check out something else. Yeah, I'm up for something a little different. All right. Well, check out this one. Hi, I'm Lainey, host of the new podcast, We're All Just Pretending. It's a podcast that has elements of Dear Abby with a twist of post-secret. Every episode, I'll read listener questions and provide advice and insight as a friend. My own pod friends will even join in and offer their advice on parenting, relationships, and even give you really bad advice on purpose. Since we all have secrets to share, there'll also be a segment focusing on letting the skill of All right, so Janelle. Head to allpretendingpod.com. Okay. It just notified me. And, and like, remember, so Janelle, we're all just pretending yo. here. Ah, uh, you got any... Shout outs, reviews, anything? I do, I do, I do. I extra, extra. <laughs> I was on Twitter, and I don't know if you know this, but we're famous on Twitter now. I apparently you sent me that. Uh, just a, it was just like a nice moment for us. But yes, apparently um, we are. When people start like quoting your sayings, I know you have to feel pretty special. I do feel special because <laughs> I'm like the least cool person that I know. <laughs> I know. No, oh. Oh. I'm just kidding. I'm going to go home now. Bye. Uh.
And this is the day the podcast died. <laughs> dun, well, dun, dun. Um, yeah. So one of our followers, um, her name is Phoebes. Hold on, let me find her. Okay. On Twitter, it's at Phoebes Luluin Banjo. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think I said that right. I don't know. Um, I'm sure we'll hear about it if you didn't. She, like, <laughs> posted up. Um, if you remember from one of our previous episodes, kill keys, money, jewelry yes. that those uh, girls wrote on their arms. Um, and then she, uh, you know, just casually mentioned that it's safer to stay home for Netflix and kill. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. That's great. Just, just repping our podcast yeah. on Twitter. It was great. Phoebe, we all, find like, you hilarious. It was all too exciting. You make us feel real good. I took a screenshot and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, Vicky. Yeah, I had this Twitter so famous. You said that to me. I think I was at work, and so I saw Did you this squeal with delight. Well, and I saw it, and I was just like, <laughs> like quietly sitting at my desk with a big smile on my face, just like right, working along, listening to my. I've been obsessed with the Scientology podcast recently. So, oh really? That's what I've been listening to. Yeah. I'm intrigued yeah. by all things Scientology. Yeah, it's called Surviving Scientology. It's not by Scientology. It's about Scientology. Mm-hmm. And what a crazy cult it is. Is it survivors of Scientology? It is, yeah. It's it's all people that have gotten out of the church and are... It's I like it loosely. because, yeah, <laughs> I like it because it's very... A lot of times when you see, like, documentaries or whatever, it's kind of this broad look at the church. Right. But these are people who came from within who are telling like these specific stories about uh, like the one that I was listening to on my way over here was about specifically the internet and Scientology and how they kind of didn't see the internet coming as a technology that they would have to use and how they're having to adjust to it. Um, anyway, I am obsessed <laughs> right now with listening to this surviving Scientology. You should check it out. Anyway, you should definitely check it um, out. When that Lyra Mini special came out, I was so glued I to the it. fucking television. Did you hear they might be doing the Jehovah Witness uh, church for the next, for season three is oh what my they're God, looking into. Oh my God, please do that. Yeah. There is a Jehovah's Witness. I don't even know if you call it a church really. Yeah. But just their house of loose worship. Is their org. Um, down the street from me. Yeah. I noticed. So it was really <laughs> odd because there was like, I saw that they put up. Um, these signs that say JW org Mm -hmm. and I was like man that's very Scientology because they call org is it's short for organization but Mm -hmm. that's what they you know the sea org and the children's something org and there was they use orgs a lot I was like yeah that's a real Scientology cult tip off right there if it's dot org yeah right (laughs) uh so anyway we love our cults we do love our cults sorry I could talk about Scientology all day long it's fucking crazy (laughs) We need to do like an eight-hour episode of like I actually <laughs> yes yeah that's true. Um, did you have anything else? Not dog. That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook the BT the the Bad Taste Crimecast on Twitter at BT Crimecast Instagram the Bad Taste Crimecast. You can also find more episodes like this at thebadtastecrimecast.com. dot com. If you would like to be a recurring donor, you can check us out on Patreon. We got lots of really cool little audio clips and extras up there. Yeah, I'm hoping to do something yeah. nice for our one year. 
Yeah. Which is coming up. Oh, it is coming up for we sure. We have to think about all Fuck. of that. Fuck. Yay. I'm already like, God, I feel like Ooh. I've been doing this forever. Right? <laughs> Hasn't even been a year yet. I know. <laughs> um, if you don't want to be a recurring donor, but you still want to help out the show, um, you can donate to us on PayPal. The bad taste crime cast at gmail.com. Venmo me. I just got Venmo on my phone. I Venmo. actually am slightly being forced to download it due to a group trip that I'm taking to Nashville in March. So, yes. Yay. How fun. But it's also really great. I've heard it's really it's great, but very, there's part of me that's like it. apprehensive to be like, here, let me download one more app that I can connect my bank account to. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to do it, obviously, because yeah. everyone's doing it and I kind of need to. It was to, just so much easier. Cause... I just miss the days of Google Wallet. We, oh, my family pitched in to help get a gift for um, Christmas for my boyfriend, and I was like, um, "Y'all need to give me the motherfucking money." And yeah. they're like, "Venmo," and I'm yeah. like, "Ugh." I know. And then as soon as I downloaded it, instantaneously was paid. I was like, "Venmo me for everything." Yeah, right. <laughs> they better give us an ad for that. And the fact that you could like <laughs> leave little like um, emojis like. Here's the money for the PlayStation 4. And there was like a Poop little emoji. PS4 controller. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, this is too much for me. <laughs> oh, um, what else? You oh. can just send money and just leave drink emojis. Like That's fair. Cocktail, uh, cocktail, cocktail. If you haven't checked out the merch store, please do so. Do it. Um, we got stuff for everyone. T-shirts, bags, mugs, pencil cases posters do they have posters up there maybe not um i don't think so that's fake just pretend i didn't say that there's wall art but i didn't think yeah, that no. people would want um, spinster wall art on everything there. is the point there's a ton of stuff um so you can check that out mm-hmm. special thanks to tiff weech for our sound and editing and a special thanks to jason jess hey you said it correctly kind of yeah <laughs> special thanks to jason zekchevsky for our sound and editing the podcast maestro the enigma <laughs> um and we will speak to you in two weeks yay goodbye bye